you think when you hear the phrase, Boomtown at the Bentway? Are you saying to yourself, what's Terry talking about now? What kind of boomtown? And what's a Bentway, anyway? These terms could mean many things, but today, in our case, they refer to a design project on the Toronto waterfront under the elevated Gardner Expressway, a project with strong Manitoba links. It is called Boomtown at the Bentway and was designed by a consortium of University of Manitoba design and architecture grads. Welcome to Prairie Design Lab, coming to you from the Faculty of Architecture at the University of Manitoba. This is episode 44 called Boomtown. To learn about Boomtowns and Bentways, we're joined by three members of the consortium. Let's meet them. First... My full name, Brandon Burgum, and our collaborative practice is called Office In Search Of, or Office ISO for shorter, or OISO for even shorter yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a graduate of the University of Manitoba's undergraduate program, the Environmental Design Program. I worked for some time for Jason Chan after it is in his, his cafe make and for his practice stuff shortly after worked for five or six, eight, seven, nine, six. Uh, and then after about three years off, I came to Toronto to start a graduate degree on a path to become an architect worked for five or six again after I graduated long distance from here from Toronto doing a work from home scenario before the pandemic started you know about a year ago I left five or six to kind of dedicate full time to to what we're doing we had one with a group of our colleagues commissioned to do a piece for the Seoul Biennale architecture and urbanism back in September as well as full-time from day-to-day. I'm a visualization artist for architecture firms across Canada doing their renderings for different projects. That continues to be the backbone for us to, to do a lot of our independent competition projects. I should also say me and Jeff have been collaborating on competitions. I don't know, for, we started doing them 12 years ago, sometimes several a year for a very long time. And then it was after I graduated that we decided to, to stamp what we've been doing with this name, Office in Search Of. The Jeff that Brandon mentioned is his longtime business partner and collaborator, Jeffrey Garcia. My bio on the Daniels website says... I am an interdisciplinary designer and educator who taught studio, visual media, and introduction to design foundations at the University of Manitoba Faculty of Architecture. I taught at the Faculty of Architecture in the Environmental Design Program for 10 years, uh, taught with Jay for like eight years. Then I left to go to graduate school at OCAD University to get my master's in design and graduated eventually. And after that, was able to start teaching at the Daniels School of Architecture, Landscape, and Design. So that's currently where I am teaching at University of Toronto. And Johanna Herme is with us. She's a co-founder and managing partner of Winnipeg-based firm 5468796 Architecture. Today, she's in Ithaca, New York, where she is currently the Gensler Visiting Critic at Cornell University's College of Architecture, Art, and Planning. Hello, all. Hello, Terry. How are you? I'm well. And Jeffrey, hello. Hello. Good afternoon. And Johanna Hermé. 
Hello to you again in Ithaca, New York. Hello, Terry. Nice to be here. You were a big part of our two most recent episodes, 42 and 43, and you were a guest on episode 10 way back in December of 2020. You've been such a frequent guest on the Prairie Design Lab. I'm thinking we should rename the podcast the Hermade Design Lab. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I should not be here then. Maybe you'll just ask more questions of Brandon and Jeff. No, well, you win the prize for the most frequent guest on Prairie Design Lab, and we're grateful for it because your talent is easily worth four appearances on the podcast. Jeffrey and Brandon, how do the three of you know each other? Quite way back in my design career, she was one of my very first studio instructors at the University of Manitoba. And then several years later, I started work at 5468796. And Jeffrey, for you, how do you know these two? My best friend taught Brandon when he was in ED2. And I know Johanna because we taught for a few years together in Foundation Studio at the University of Manitoba. What got all three of you involved in this project, Johanna? Well, that was Brandon's initiative. So he reached out to us, being now located in Toronto, and was aware that the Bentway was organizing this competition for revitalization of intersections toward the waterfront. And he contacted 546. Then we put together a competition team among the two firms and went for it and won. Why is this Toronto project called Boomtown at the Bentway? Uh, we were looking at boom lips, uh, which are genie lips. Why, though? That became the focus of our intervention. And the Bentway is the site of the installation. And what's the Bentway? I mean, I lived in Toronto. I walked under the Gardener rather a lot, but I don't know what the Bentway is. Brandon, what is it? The Bentway is uh, an initiative to turn this piece of infrastructure that really cuts the city in half and start to make it more of a public space. So the Bentway proper is a park underneath the Gardener, close to Fort York here in Toronto. They are looking to extend their reach either through public art initiatives and these design interventions. Hence their call for this competition to activate two sites under the Gardener, which have another road underneath it, Lakeshore Drive, but to find ways to reanimate them and give them a, a new life. And Johanna, these boom lifts, how did they get incorporated into this design? Well, one of the things that we discovered through the design process is that it was very, very difficult for us to attach anything to the uh, existing infrastructure. They had all kinds of limitations in the competition. It was tough to have anything that would structurally be able to stand and, and so forth. And then we had this aha moment when we also looked at how when you even do Google Earth or Google uh, Drive through the site that you see the GD lifts that are constantly working under the gardener. You see them in the images uh, as you're kind of zooming by. And we sort of put the two together and thought, well, this would be a way that we could give them new character, recognize what the existing conditions are. And it was sort of, a, uh, I think, in an innovative, minimal way for big impacts to occur. But these are pieces of construction equipment that are usually used for moving heavy materials for reaching up high underneath the expressway. How did you incorporate them into the project that you were designing? We sort of discovered that they had kind of animal-like characteristics that seemed to have a neck and they seemed to have a body and they were able to move around. 
They had a head that was the basket in which the worker sits. And from there, we just thought that with small tweaks, we could actually really give them personality. And that was the big discovery. And that didn't require much. We had much more elaborate, actually, visions of it early on. We were really dressing them up and so forth, but ended up kind of reducing it back and, and making the effort of transformation really quite simple so that they can still act in their original role of maintaining uh, the gardener. So what did you do to transform these genie lifts, these booms, into playthings almost? How did you do that? As we worked through this idea that these creatures, they're somewhat migratory creatures that inhabit the gardener. They move back and forth as the city does their maintenance work. And it was a matter of bringing to life their individual personalities. We gave them each names, Trekker, Trooper, and Tinker. And what better way to bring them life is to, to give them a set of googly eyes made out of reflective security mirrors and recladding their bodies in colorful new patterns that you know take them away from their typical gray and blue construction wear and give them a, a fabulous new look. Jeffrey, tell me more about the, the decision to put these googly eyes on them. We made a decision later on the competition just to do something really charming and playful and fun. Before we got to this competition entry, we were testing a lot of, I'd say, more expected installation sort of designs where we were looking at uh, parabolas, uh, we were looking at different geometries. But then when we reevaluated the, the sort of documentation on the street, these things were just laying around. And we thought that in order to be mindful of material waste, that we would just take advantage of the thing that already exists and amplify, right? That they're still functional, but then we also get them dressed up. And by doing that, we don't take ourselves too seriously as designers, that we think of it as this urban amenity that welcomes anyone to design. And to demonstrate that as architects and designers, that we look at things at an urban scale and we look at things at an industrial design scale. So how did you dress up these genie lifts? We developed, I think it was 50 or 60 different patterns. They were based on the Bentway logo. They were just different permutations. We did rotations, inversions, void spaces, and we did extensive palettes of color. I've never worked it with as much color in this project as ever in my life. And again, it was just trying to have something that was really vibrant, that would catch right attention and would be very photogenic. Johanna, why did the city of Toronto or whoever controls the gardener and that part of the neighborhood want to do this anyway? There's this issue with the gardener being sort of a barrier, as Brandon mentioned before, and their hope is to try and get people, I think, to see infrastructure that cuts through the city differently and make sure that there's sort of uh, life and vibrancy attached to it, at least when and if there might be a different future for that infrastructure. I think then why they maybe selected our proposal, it seemed like it met the qualifications or the requirements for the competition really well as a sort of a minimal intervention, as Jeffrey also alluded to, that, you know, these were existing pieces already. There was no waste. We can also recycle them afterwards and put them back into work with or without the, the new gear that we're giving them. And then I think there's this idea that design is accessible and we can be a bit humorous about it, but also that, you know, we can reach kids, we can 
reach people that don't typically pay attention to design. Why does this part of the Gardner, because it's a relatively long highway above the Lakeshore Boulevard down along the lake, why does this part matter so much? This is happening at what your intersection is Gardner and, and York, is that correct? Yeah, maybe more accurate to say Lakeshore at York, uh, the Gardner running above us. And I'll say we're sort of one of three projects. One is a project already completed that they did at Reese Street at Lakeshore. And then a second competition site that was parallel to uh, the competition we were a part of was at Simcoe Street. And these three intersections encompass a pretty large access point and people moving between the city, the downtown and its waterfront. You know, if you were to hop off the train at Union Station, you would likely be heading through our intersection and you're ready to get to the waterfront. So they're very activated places and certainly ripe to get a lot of eyes on these sites and to experience them. I've seen some of your renderings involving painting the the bents, the things that support the gardener up above in this incredible color. Tell us about why you chose that color. Just as much as these creatures of the gardener got a new look, they imbue the site with a, with a similar look. So the four bents, which are the concrete structures that hold up the gardener, are painted a, a vibrant ultramarine blue and then completed with a chrome vinyl decal pattern that pixelates from the, the bottom of the concrete structure where it's solid mirror to a more faded look at the top as a way to kind of have the gardener disappear as, as it hits the ground and embedded in that pattern are wayfinding devices that will say York on the sides of the columns, but also the, the numbers of each column. Each bent is given a number by the city and part of the Bentways initiative at their, their main site is that they've highlighted in big super graphics what each of these numbers are as a way of kind of saying, oh, I'll meet you at bent number 185 or 111 as a way of kind of giving a, a place to each of these structures. Johanna, what do you hope that this will accomplish in the way that people who visit the Toronto waterfront interact with it? Well, I really hope it puts a smile on people's faces first and foremost. I think maybe the secondary thing is is do see your city differently and do see that there, you know, there's a way to really enjoy even the sort of ordinary bits of it. And I hope that people just get that sense of delight when they walk by. Hopefully they'll take a selfie with the genie that's sort of dressed up or or one of these um, booms uh, that's sort of dressed up in a seasonal costume or something and have fun with it. That's really what I think ultimately our design team's hope is. Jeffrey, when you and I were speaking the other day, you were talking about the booms as a kind of brand ambassador. What do you mean by that? One of the requirements for the project or consideration is that the whatever you do could be replicated in another site. And we thought that by using these almost anthropomorphic creatures, that they can go into the city, right, with different costumes, uh, different attachments, that they can be participate in pride, they can participate in Santa Parade. Really? Um, <laughs> and, and different, right, because they're motorized, right? So you can drive them down the street. And so the idea is that you could bring the Bentway anywhere in, in Toronto, Right, so that as a brand, as project for the Bentway, th they can travel throughout the city. Instagram plays a kind of a role in this as well, right? As you visualize it. 
Yeah, when we were doing the competition and we were looking at the vibrancy of it, we easily imagined the way that people would interact with it or the way we would hope people to interact with it. And Instagram is the way that we communicate visually. And I think we also get cues of how we integrate ourselves into space and, and our behaviors by looking at examples of being in other spaces and looking at what people do when they're in spaces like this. They take selfies, right? That there are different points of view of people in the surrounding area, right? That we try to imagine different scenarios and how people will respond to this and what type of stories they would tell on Instagram. It's a way to have essentially an international scope in communication of the project because you could look at the account anywhere as long as you have a mobile device. So the booms have a kind of photographic magnetism. People want pictures of them. They want to be seen with them. And that's what we are hoping is that people adopt them into the city, right? That they become synonymous with Toronto, that when you come in as a tourist, you just want to go because it reminds you of Toronto, right? That we are imagining this as a place for families to go to or tourists, that it becomes almost a marker of what Toronto has to offer as, as an amenity. When you talk to your architecture students at the Daniels School and you talk about what you're doing with boom lifts and googly eyes, what do they say about someone who's trained in architecture doing this kind of thing? What I found really exciting is on the first day of school uh, for my uh, course on exploring design practices, my TAs and I were showing examples of work. And when I showed the boom town, students responded by saying that they didn't know that this is what architects and designers did, right? That when we think of the profession of architecture and the endeavor of architecture and design, we think about buildings, but that with what we do as designers is that we're multifaceted. And the other aspect that students responded to is the way that we presented the project. Typically when you do presentations, the communication are photorealistic renders, which we have as part of the competition package. But we are very mindful that since we want this to be accessible and really playful, that we provided a story and the drawing style were like coloring books with heavy black lines. And students mentioned that they never thought of presenting projects that way, that it is very graphic, very simple, very playful, that they have a personality, that they do more than just communicated design. Johanna, what was the creative process to getting to this point? And it's never straightforward. I think that we alluded to earlier, too, that we were doing all kinds of more typical renditions of what we wanted to do. We knew that we wanted to have some light impact on the environment. So we tried to incorporate, I think it was bicycle bells to have a message incorporated into our projects at one point. You know, we had these parabolas, we had sort of shiny things that were multiplied and, and so on, and, and really kind of struggled with the limitations of it. But I think often where the idea really clicks is when you do have those limitations and when you do hit walls and when you have to pivot to a different direction, it, you kind of talk projects into being in a sense that we had really good conversations with the team. Uh, there was never this idea or, the, or no idea type of attitude with anybody who was part of the design group. And there was probably, what, six of us at any given time in the Zoom chat with we're trying to slice through what would be ultimately the, the winning idea. And, and yeah, it just all kind of clicked at one point and the pieces came together 
And it's really tough to remember who authored what in the end, right? It just feels like it's everybody's project in the end. Johanna, your firm, 546, is known for its innovation in a whole bunch of different ways, with a different sense of what community means in the built environment, everything from a table for 1200 to 62M down by the Disraeli here in Winnipeg. You have a very different way of looking at things. When you saw the opportunity for creating a proposal for Boomtown at the Bentway, did you say, that's us, that's what we do? Of course, yes, with that. With Brandon coming to suggest that there was no hesitation, especially knowing that these two would be part of the group. So I know that there is plenty of design energy on both sides of the table, and it was really good collaboration right from the get-go. And and, um, I think we're always better when we can have more heads at the table. And so this in case, of course, we've worked with both Brandon and Jeff in multitude of different ways in the past. And so we knew it was a good fit. And these are the kinds of fun, quirky projects that aside from the sort of serious architecture that pays our bills and we have to do and we want to do of course these things are always delightful the little kind of quirky interventions that can go any direction when you first start out and and usually the good measure is that whatever you picture that you would do in the beginning when you heard the brief it's completely different from that so that usually means it was successful and it was a good design process what's the lifespan of this project the Bentway sees these projects as short-term experiments and what might be done on these sites and to find kind of lessons to reapply as going forward. So the expected lifespan is two to three years. What are your thoughts, the three of you, about how the things that you're exploring uh, on the Bentway could be extrapolated, say, here in Winnipeg? Well, I do hope that there are entities, and I, I know there are some, that would want to have design competitions because that's you know where some of the great ideas come from like oftentimes you don't know what you're even looking for necessarily and so i think you know the forks has been great in having a few design competitions here and there really trying to be creative about how they commission whether it's installations or public art and and, and things like that and i hope more of the sort of city-based entities municipal government the provincial government could also see the opportunity in that. And and I think it does give opportunity for young designers when there isn't sort of requirements of having done six museums of, you know, international scale before, before you can enter. So this one has a sort of level of accessibility. And I think it's really great because then we get new blood and fun projects that get created that way. So I I hope that the government agencies in particular, government-based agencies would, would see that or more locally in Winnipeg as well. Johanna, do you find yourself looking differently now at boom lifts wherever you are, like you're in Ithaca, New York at the moment? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I just encountered one the other day. And I, I right away kind of investigating its body and sort of seeing shapes and seeing where the functions are and thinking where we could wrap it in vinyl. Where did the names of the characters of, of the Bent Buddies come from? Trekker, Tinker, and Trooper. It was almost like naming a child and you don't know what to name them and just trying to find the right name that they would have for years to come. And we just compiled a long list of things that have alliteration and things that didn't. And there were ones that just seemed to make sense in terms of suggesting their personalities or also their use. Even now we're thinking that Trooper and I guess would be the ones that would stay on the site more permanently, whereas Trekker 
would be maybe the ambassador type if we had to separate. So there's, you know, it goes on. These names are sort of giving us more ideas as we progress the project now through design development. But the idea of getting Trekker and Tinker and Trooper involved in Halloween, in Pride, in the Santa Claus Parade, I think you're really onto something here. It's just another way for design to be relevant to people in the city. Um, Johanna intimated, often design culture is separated from the general populace, that people think that that's just not for me. But with engaging into the communities, this becomes a community project, right? That it sort of reiterates the priorities that we have, that this is for everyone. To the topic of the lifts and their names, that there was a comment after our entry was selected as the winner, a jury comment that they personally felt that there should be a mandate that all city lift equipment should be decorated and given personality so that there might be a whole population of them one day inhabiting the, the streets of Toronto and maybe across Canada <laughs> would be kind of amazing to think about. Johanna, why did a Winnipeg firm want to play such a big role in this? Well, Winnipeg is a great design city, and, and why not? Um, so if we have ideas from here, they seem to be applicable across the country. And you know that, for example, the Warming Cuts initiative that started in Winnipeg has now been adapted by Toronto and uh, the, what are they called, winter stations. And, and so we do have a lot of ideas to export. But of course, these two also, I, I guess, identifies Winnipeggers as well as Torontonians. So it was a perfect fit. So we had you know, kind of boots on the ground, as well as this kind of Winnipeg can-do attitude among the team. I know that a couple of years ago, at the beginning of the pandemic, Google was very much involved on the Toronto waterfront with Sidewalk Labs, with a huge plan for a complete change in the approach to what's going on down there. And then that was cancelled. Is this, with your project, a part of a way to try to recover the enthusiasm and vitality of the Toronto waterfront? Well, when we did the competition entry and we did the drawings that tell the story, it was a deliberate decision that everyone drawn into the story all had masks, right? Because that was just the reality of the time. And that regardless of how difficult things are and being indoors for so long, but as soon as we get out, that you would be greeted by these really joyful, exciting, vibrant creatures. Did the booms have masks? No, that, that actually would have been a good idea. Nobody brought that up. I suppose they don't have mouths. Yeah. <laughs> the drawing yeah, they, they don't do. have mouths, so that, I think we're saved. I think there's something to the question in a sense that I, I think we're all kind of desperate after this hibernation during the pandemic for more social contact, kind of reclaiming the city back, reclaiming the public spaces back. And there is sort of a human need to connect with others that hasn't gone away, regardless of whether we had to sort of hunker down and separate ourselves from others. So I think there is definitely the spirit in this project where we hope that that will happen and people will come together and will kind of rekindle their love for the cities. For those who are going to be in Toronto in the next six months or so, when might they see Trekker, Tinker, and Trooper? Construction for installation is set for August, September. So you might start to see pieces of it, but anytime after October, they will be on site. Well, I'll try to drop by and say hi to the three of them. Thank you for your time today. 
congratulations on such such play, such innovation, such just goofing around. It's really quite wonderful in a very simple and affordable way that you've managed to pull all this together. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks, Terry, for everything Alrighty, you do. You. Okay, take care. Appreciate you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Bye. Johanna Herme is co-founder and managing partner of Winnipeg-based 5468796 Architecture. Today, she was in Ithaca, New York, where she is currently the Gensler Visiting Critic at Cornell University's College of Architecture, Art and Planning. Brandon Burgum is with the Toronto-based design practice called Office in Search of. Jeffrey Garcia is a partner with Brandon in that practice, and he also teaches at the Daniels Faculty of Architecture, Landscape and Design at the University of Toronto. Prairie Design Lab comes to you from the Faculty of Architecture at the University of Manitoba. I want to offer special thanks to the team that helps to put this podcast together. Jason Chan, as we heard from Brandon and Jeffrey, was a longtime influence on the team that created Boomtown at the Bentway. Thanks as well to Jason Shields and Brandy O'Reilly. You can listen to us on Apple and Google Podcasts, on SoundCloud, and on Spotify, and on our website, prairiedesignlab.com. We're heard every Wednesday morning at 11.30 on UMFM Radio, 101.5 FM. I'm Terry McLeod, your host, producer, and writer. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. <laughs>